Good morning, everyone. We have a lot to get through this morning. Uh, we are in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, looking at the second half of chapter 8. But before we begin, we have a very short introduction to the study of Googology. Now, Googology, if you have your syllabus ready, and you're going to have to take notes this morning for our class, this is math level 11. Not math level 10, but it's cranked up all the way to math level 11. Now, Googology is the study of large numbers. Large numbers. Hence why Google took that name as their search engine, because they had a large number of things they wanted to make available to us. And I'm going to start with some little numbers first. We're going to start with the number 11 million. Now, 11 million is the average that neuro neurologists believe 11 million things happen in the brain every second. Now, you don't recognize all 11 million things, but there are 11 million impulses and firing of synapses and things happening in the human brain every single second. 11 million. And the way that mathematicians, Googleologists, write a number like that is 11 times 10 to the sixth power. Uh, now, these notes will be available to you later on if you need it. You don't have to write all this down. But if you remember from first year algebra, this little caret means to the power of whatever the number is, meaning that there are six zeros after the number. So 11 million can be written as 11 times 10 to the sixth power. Now, in an average lifespan, we experience 2.2 billion seconds. We experience 2.2 billion seconds, or 2.2 times 10 to the ninth power, nine places after the first two. Now, uh, several years ago, in fact, in 2007, there was a guy named Jeremy Harper who decided to figure out how long it would take him to count by ones to a million. So he started one day, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Do you have any idea how long it took him to count to a million? 89 days, 16 hours a day. He videotaped it and it's on YouTube if you are ever bored and wanting to sleep. Look him up because he's got 89 days worth of him counting by ones. But it took him 89 days to count to a million. It would take him over two years, nine months, to count to 11 million. Now remember, 11 million are the number of things happening in a human brain every second. It would take him two years, nine months, to count every activity that happens in one second, in one human brain. Now, there happen to be eight billion people living in the world at this time. Eight billion people. If you looked at one second of activity in all eight billion brains, you would end up with a number, that number, eight comma eight eight zero zero. I'm not going to do this because we're going to get to a lot of zeros in time. But that's 8.8 .8 times 10 to the 16th power. 16 places after that first eight. Every second in the history of humanity, this is happening in our brains. An amazingly big, big number. How long would that take to count? One second of human brain activity in the world. It would take, because I did the calculations, 31 billion years to count to one quadrillion. One quadrillion. 
but we have 8.8 .8 quadrillion things happening in a human brain in a single second, so that would take 1.5 trillion years to count those numbers. That is an astronomical number. A second of human brain activity is equivalent to basically counting all the grains of sand in the world every second. Think of all the grains of sand in the world. Every beach you've ever been to, every time sand's got into your shoes or into your shorts or sand in your car, counting all of that sand every second is equivalent to all the human thought that's taking place in one second. That number is astronomical. We can't even relate to a number that big, but I'm going to try and help us relate to that number. Imagine taking a dollar bill and stacking it on top of each other, one on top of each other. If you did that, every human second that occurs within humanity, 8 billion people, it would be equivalent to stacking those dollar bills and it would reach to the moon and back 249,000 times. Or go around the circumference of the earth 2.5 million times a dollar bill stacked next to each other. So we have really big numbers that we're thinking about and talking about this morning. That number is dwarfed in comparison to the number of atoms in this single piece of sand. I don't know if you can see that sand. I actually circled it so it'd be a little bit easier to see. You see that single piece of sand? Remember, every sand, counting it every second, is equivalent to every thought or every uh, function that's happening in the human brain. But every piece of sand contains more than that in atoms. It contains 7.5 quintillion number of atoms. That's 7.5 times 10 to the 18th power. So this single grain of sand has more atoms in it than all human functions that are occurring within a second of all 8.8 .8 or all 8 billion people. That's a huge number of atoms. If all 8 billion people counted the number of atoms in a single piece of sand, it would take 25 million years to count all those atoms. That's an insanely huge number. That number is eight followed by lots of different zeros. <laughs> lots of zeros. Not even going to engage in that. And that number as well, that eight followed by all those zeros, is the number of combinations you can get by shuffling a deck of cards. It's eight times 10 to the 64th power. So you can shuffle a deck of cards to that number. And then theorists have said that no two times in the history of humanity have you ever shuffled the same deck of cards in order after five shuffles. It's impossible. It would take that many times to get a duplicate number. But that pales in comparison to the number of opportunities you have to move chess pieces in a chess game. That number is 10 to the 111th power. That is 10 followed by that many numbers. That's a huge amount of numbers. In fact, there's not really even a defined name for what that is because it's higher than Google or Googleplex, which is 100 zeros. This is 111 zeros. Now, you might be asking yourself, and this is a valid question, Tim, 
what is the deal with math class this morning? And will there be a quiz at the end of this? The deal with math class is going to be explained in less than 30 seconds. And no, there is no test afterwards, no quiz. I want you to be overwhelmed by numbers. I want you to realize that this piece of grain of sand, this single piece of sand, is impossible for humanity to count the number of atoms. I want you to be your mind boggled at how many different ways you can shuffle a deck of cards, how many times, different times, you can play a game of chess and never have the exact same game played. I want you to be overwhelmed with how many grains of sand there are in the world and how that measures up to one second of humanity's thought and come to the conclusion. The point of all this is Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords over each second, over each atom, over each number, over each possibility. You are more important to God than a grain of sand. You are remarkable. You are made and fashioned after his image, and he knows you and you know him. Not a second goes by in all of those 8.8 .8 quadrillion second moments of a human brain activity. Not a second goes by where he is not invested in knowing you as an individual. He knows you greater than he knows an atom, and yet he knows all atoms throughout the entirety of this universe. You are a person made in his image, and you are special to him. And in the end, that's remarkable. It's remarkable that he has such intimate knowledge and detail about the universe, which we cannot even comprehend in grain of sand to its fullness. And yet God knows your heart, your soul. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're struggling with. He knows the joys and heartaches of life. He knows every single one of those in your lives. You're made in his image. And that draws us to a conclusion that if he has a grain of sand under control, and he does that with every grain of sand, every atom in this universe, I think he's got it under control. So we don't have to worry. We don't have to fear. We don't have to stress about evil in particular having an upper hand. We don't have to worry about what's happening today. We can trust him. He's got it. If God is able to take care of every single event that is occurring in a human brain and does it with perfection and mastery, I think it's time for us to let him handle the bigger consequences of life He's proven he can do it with minuscule things that amount to huge numbers. He certainly can do it with our lives. He's got it under control. Even though things may seem unfair to us, we can trust him. He's got it. He understands how the atom works and functions. He counts every single atom in every single piece of sand. He's got it. As mind-boggling as numbers may be to us, he understands it. He's got it. 
And so as we look at today's subject in Ecclesiastes 8, we need to come to the conclusion, even though it is hard, and Solomon will say, this is hard, I don't get it, we can release that and say, it's all right if I don't get it. God gets it, and that's all that matters. Now, if you remember, wisdom is correctly applied biblical knowledge. Correctly applied biblical knowledge. So as we get overwhelmed with life, and in particular, we get overwhelmed with this idea of it looks like evil wins sometimes. Why does evil win? Why do bad people get away with things and the good person gets punished for something? Why are we punished for standing for the truth when evil and wickedness gets elevated to its own parades and holidays? Why does that happen? God, why do you let that happen? Solomon addresses that in chapter 8 of Ecclesiastes, starting in verse 10. And we're going to look at, uh, excuse me, yeah, starting in verse 10. And we're going to look at verse 10 through 13 because it gives us one little section that answers this very quickly, that evil will be judged and fearing God will be rewarded regardless of what you see happening in life. God has got it. He's got it. Verse 10, then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy places and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. This speaks to that person who's an absolute hypocrite, who's just simply playing the religious game, going into the holy places, raising up their hand, giving their tithes and offering, patting people on the back. They're doing it, but they have no relationship with God, and yet their acts are totally evil. And you know what? They come in and out of the holy places. They act the act. They play the game. They have the facade. They have the, the character. They're fooling a lot of people, but not everyone, because some people see them, see them for exactly what they are. They're evil, and yet they're trying to portray themselves as holy and good. And guess what? In the end, they die. Just like all of us. We end up and we die. And continues in verse 11. Because the sentence against evil an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. If I see someone driving 80 miles an hour on Prairie Boulevard, I think to myself, wow, maybe I could go 85. I don't know if my car would go 85, but if I had a car that went 85, 90, I should try it because no one else gets busted. But of course, the moment you do it, what happens? You get in trouble. You get the ticket. You get stopped. But all these other people pass me, officer. Doesn't matter. You're the one I picked. And all of a sudden, we feel that's unfair. And that's human experience and human feeling and human reaction when we see other people getting away with stuff. And when we do it, we get busted. Solomon says, that's not a brand new idea that just happened with cars and speeding limits. That's been happening since the beginning of time. Some people looks like it gets away with it, so why don't we try it too? Solomon says that's happened all the time. So verse 12 answers that question. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, totally gets away with it, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. Solomon goes to the conclusion to all that is, don't worry, God's got it covered. He can handle it. He's got it because in the end, 
Even though it looks like they get away with everything and they prolong their days and, and they have plenty and they get celebrations and holidays and they get wealth and it looks like their life is easy and they get away with all the evil deeds, in the end, like I said at the very beginning, God's got it. I don't have to worry about it, stress about it, freak out about it, complain about it. God's got it. And in the end, in this particular case, we know the conclusion. The evil and those that perpetrate it, while it looks like they get away with it now, when they enter into eternity, they will not get away with it. Because our God knows all 11 million brain functions that occur every single second in a person's brain, in a person's heart, and everything they do. They will not get away with it. Our God is that big and amazing and full of ability that they will get their just deserved end in time. But it seems unfair. They get away with it now. They may get away with it now. They may get their laws passed, their celebrations acknowledged, their flags placed over ours. It doesn't matter because in the end, God has promised he will judge them. Our responsibility, according to these verses, is to fear God. Stand before God and fear him, acknowledge him, follow his ways, love him, be surrounded by him, being strengthened by him, acknowledge him, trumpet his truth and love, practice forgiveness and mercy and understanding with others, make him the focal point of our lives, not complaining about what other people get away with. God has got it when it comes to other people. He never asks you, Worry about the other person and correct the other person and make sure you change the other person. Make sure justice happens. No, he says to us, fear me, respect me, honor me. Live your days as if you were before my throne in person every second. Because there will be a day when I will ask you to account for all 11 million functions of every second of your life. And God's memory is amazing. He will not forget a single, single thing that happens within that one second of human brain activity, thought and heart. So the concluding part of Ecclesiastes chapter 8 ends for us this beautiful breath of fresh air, weight off of our shoulder, burden let loose. Because we do not have to spend time trying to figure out why evil prevails at times. Because God reinforces once again at the end of the chapter why we can let God handle it. It says in verse 14, there is vanity or uselessness that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I say that this is also vanity or uselessness. There are times where the righteous person gets punished. 
And there are times where the wicked person gets away with it. Now, I would love to say I've been on the other hand of doing righteous things, but I get in trouble and I get punished. But I oftentimes, especially as a kid, I was on the other side where I did wicked things and got away with it because I blamed it on someone else and the teacher believed me. So if that happened to you, on behalf of all the bullies and mean people in your life, I want to apologize and say I'm sorry that that happened to you. But I know that this happens. I know that at times you do the right thing before God and you get busted, you get in trouble, you get silenced, you get corrected. And in each of those times, it's vanity and uselessness. And it makes you go, why do I even try to do what's good if I'm the one who gets punished and in trouble? If I get caught... Solomon dealt with the same thing. He goes, I don't understand it either. I can't figure it out. But you know who can figure it out? God. God's got it figured out. He can handle what's happening inside of a grain of sand at all times. Every function of it, every atom of it, not out of place, not misused, he understands it. I certainly think he can handle the one time or the few times or the many times we may have been silenced because of righteousness and wickedness goes unpunished. And we can be like Solomon. I don't get it. It seems like vanity and the uselessness. I don't know why all this happens. He continues and says in verse 10, And I commended joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go well with him in his toil through all the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. So Solomon says, in light of all of that, instead of spending all my time and energy on trying to figure out why evil prevails at times and why righteousness is punished at times, it is better to spend your time just enjoying the things that God has given us to enjoy. Eating, drinking, dancing, whatever it might be. Music and entertainment. They are not sinful in and of themselves. And so God says, you can enjoy life. Let the worry and stress of evil and righteousness being sorted out to God. He's got it. It's okay. We don't have to fret about it, worry about it, stress about it, or spend sleepless nights trying to figure out why. We're not designed to figure out why. God is designed to answer the why questions. All we have to do is fear him, and when we start to get stressed out about all that, I think Solomon is absolutely right. Maybe it's time to just enjoy life for a little bit. Splurge and get that steak dinner. Splurge and get that $2 bottle of water instead of that 59-cent bottle of water. I don't know. Go ahead and get that real good chocolate bar, not the, you know, the manufactured Hershey's kind of thing. Enjoy the things of life. He goes on to say in verse 16 and 17, when I applied my heart to know wisdom. So he's talking specifically in relationship to all this stuff that's happening on, the evil and the righteousness, why evil gets rewarded at times and righteousness punished, why evil is celebrated and righteousness is not celebrated. He goes, when I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see all the business that is done under the earth, how neither day or night do one's eyes close in sleep, meaning there's no end to it, when he applied his mind to know all of this stuff that he's been talking about, he comes to this conclusion in verse 17. Then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out. 
the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil, however much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find out. The whole point in that is, when Solomon spent all of his time and energy trying to figure out why all this is happening around him, why it feels the world is out of balance at times, and why righteousness is punished and silenced, and why wickedness and evil is elevated and celebrated, he goes, you know, we can't figure out everything. We can't count the atoms in a grain of sand. He's got it. And he tells us that much in Deuteronomy 29, 29. I mentioned this verse often, and it's one of those that I believe should be written at the front of your Bible, or you should text it to yourself so you never forget it. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of the law. We have enough on our plate living what God has communicated to us in his word than to spend all this energy worrying about the world, worrying about politics, worrying about sports, worrying about how the world is headed. We have enough trouble fearing God and living before him every day, submitting ourselves to God, forgiving when we should forgive, not being angry, controlling our temper. We have enough problem with obeying the speed limit and stop signs. At least I do. I don't have the energy also to dedicate to why does evil happen and they seem to get away with it. And the beautiful thing is God says, you don't have to worry about that. You don't even have to think about that another second because you can't even figure out how atoms in a grain of sand work. You can't even count them. He says, let me worry about that. I'll take care of that. I and the King of kings and Lord of lords. I am the God of all creation, and it's sustained by the power of my word. He doesn't exert energy on any of this. He just simply says it, and it is. I think he's got it under control. Amen? Amen. Amen. Next week, we'll be looking at Psalm 94. Don't have time this morning, but next week, we're going to be looking at Psalm 94. I would encourage you, strongly encourage you, if you take only a few things away from this message this morning, one, that you might be a little impressed with my understanding of Googleology, okay? <laughs> Number two, that he's got it. He's got it. And if you ever need to remember that, take yourself a piece of sand, tape it to a piece of paper, and put it in your pocket. Put it in your pocket. And every time you start whining and complaining or hearing other people whining and complaining about how the world is headed, how they have all the power and we no longer have a voice as conservative, truth-declaring Christians, all you got to do is reach into your pocket. See, I have multiple things in my pocket. And pull out that piece of sand on that piece of paper taped to it and remind yourself, he's got it. And he's got not just a single piece of sand under control. He's got everything that we experience in this life totally under control. And one of the ways he beautifully expresses that is through entering into a person's life with faith and forgiveness and love. And our response to that faith and love and forgiveness that God gives us 
is declaring before everyone that Jesus is my King of kings and Lord of lords, that he's the one who saved me and forgiven me, and I only relate to him based on the work of his Son, Jesus Christ. And we respond by faith through an act of baptism where it demonstrates to the world that we are his and he is mine and that you are worth much more than a grain of sand, a shuffling of a deck of cards, or a game of chess. You are precious in his eyes, forgiven and redeemed, and he's got you. He's taking care of you. We don't have to worry about the big problems of life. He's got us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. And as I do, I'm going to ask the people that are getting baptized to just kind of form over on the, uh, the side there. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that you reveal to us the majesty of your word through something as simple as a human thought, counting to a million, or even a grain of sand. Father, we deal with stress and worry all the time about the things and events of the world going around us. Help us to rid ourselves of that worry, that fear, that anxiety, that stress, and go back to the basics of knowing that you've got it and we don't have to worry about it. As, as intimate as you know that grain of sand, you know us so much better. You know us eternally and you've entered into a relationship with us. So Father, as we do our baptisms this morning, we celebrate that uniqueness, that salvation, the gospel message in our hearts and our value before you as one of your sons and daughters. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said, amen.